Welcome to Down to Earth but Heavenly Minded Podcast. Hosted by Irving Rich, God our Savior. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 to 7, 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15, and 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 to 2. By James Boyd. The Holy Spirit. Power belongs to God. Psalm chapter 62 verse 11. It does not lie in the new nature, though that nature be of God, and though it be both incorruptible and indestructible. The soul newly and only born again is as weak and helpless as is a babe newly born after the flesh, it can do nothing but desire. The desires of one born again are right, but he has no power to put these desires into practice, the good he would he does not, but the evil he would not, that he does. I have already spoken of this, it is the state of soul described in the latter part of Romans chapter 7. The Spirit of God is the power that makes the difference between this and the next chapter. But along with that heavenly gift, the realization of the new place we have in Christ risen from the dead. For the soul who has the Spirit of God, and knows his new place in the risen Christ, and walks in dependence upon God, uninterrupted victory over sin is his constant realization. It is not that there will not be conflict, but the conflict described in Romans chapter 7 is a conflict which is so one-sided that one of the combatants has it all his own way. And the other can do nothing at all but groan out his utter wretchedness, like a weakling in the hands of a giant, but when the Spirit of God is there it is he who takes up the conflict. And victory is ours Galatians chapter 5 verse 17. It is necessary to have the Spirit, for without his indwelling there is no power against sin. There is no power in the creature, let the creature be in nature or in new birth. Power is only in God. Adam fell when in innocence, and, indeed, every creature falls who is not upheld by the might of God. It is impossible to suppose that power could reside anywhere else than in the Creator Himself. Redemption places man in the power of God, and this is one of the first things he has to learn, in order that his walk may be in dependence upon his Redeemer. No inherent power is bestowed upon the creature by any work that may be done by God in his soul. A great work has been done already in the souls of his people, and we are still looking for a great work to be done. For we wait the Saviour from heaven who will change our bodies and fashion them like to his own, Philippians chapter 3 verse 21. But no work shall ever be done in us that will set us up in a power independent of God. Indeed, the principle of sin is just this, that man arrogates to himself an independent existence from God, and claims the power and prerogative of doing as he pleases. Christ is said to have been crucified through weakness, but lives by the power of God, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 4. He was weakened down in death when he gave himself for our sins, but by the exceeding greatness of the power of God he now lives in resurrection, and by that same power we now live in him. And soon shall live with him, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19, and 23, 2 verses 1 to 6, 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 11, and Romans chapter 8 verse 11. God, on the ground of the death of Christ, is setting everything up in his own power, and this is just the security of the new heavens and the new earth, and of all that will be in them. Therefore, if we are to be brought to the knowledge of the truth, we must not only learn our sinfulness and the need of righteousness, but we must also learn our utter weakness. But this weakness we only begin to learn when there is a work of grace done in our souls, and the first work of grace is new birth. It is that which the Lord tells Nicodemus, ye must be born again, John chapter 3. When that work has been wrought in our souls our great desire is to please God, and though we mix up our acceptance with our doing, and expect God to approve of us because of that which he may find in us, still our delight is really in the doing of his will so far as we know it. And the misery of our condition lies in the fact that we are under the dominion of sin, and unable to do the good which we approve of. This is the way we learn that we are without strength. Now the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus makes us free from this terrible bondage. Where the Spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. 
where he is there is always a measure of this liberty, even where the soul is yet in ignorance of his true place in Christ risen. Where the doctrine of the gospel only has been learned there is no more power than where it is utterly unknown, for, as I have said, all power lies in the Spirit. But even where the Spirit is, and our place in Christ unknown, the measure of liberty enjoyed will not be complete. The cross and the Spirit go together, and both are necessary for complete deliverance. The Spirit sheds abroad in the believer's heart the love of God, is in his heart the spirit of sonship crying, Abba, Father, witnesses with our spirits that we are the children of God. Occupies us with objects that carry us out of ourselves altogether, and which are more attractive than any earthly things, and without such objects liberty would be impossible for us. But the cross has severed us completely from the old things, and in Christ we are brought into a new order of things altogether, and the Holy Spirit is the power by which these things are known and enjoyed. But when they are known and enjoyed the reign of sin is over for us forever. Now, though saints in the past dispensations were born again, they are never said to have been sealed with the Spirit. Indeed, the Spirit as a person dwelling upon earth and in the bodies of believers was unknown till the day of Pentecost. The Blessed Lord told his disciples that it was expedient that he should go away, for if he went not away the Spirit would not come to them, but if he went he would send him. But John the Baptist had already pointed him out as the one who would baptize with the Holy Spirit. This divine person came to the disciples on the day of Pentecost, and he has been here ever since, and will be here as long as the church remains upon earth. Christians are builded together for his habitation. They are his house, but of that I have already spoken. But he also dwells in believers' bodies. Our bodies are the temples of the Holy Ghost. God claims them, they are his, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 20, and we are to present them to him a living sacrifice, Romans chapter 12 verse 1, but we can only do this in the power of the Spirit. No greater gift could God bestow upon his people than the gift of the Spirit. The Lord says to his disciples, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Luke chapter 11 verse 13. No lesser gift would do for those who have no might in themselves. Nothing would suffice for our redemption but the death and resurrection of God's Son. And no other power than that of his Spirit could lead our souls into the blessedness of the new place that is ours in and with Christ. The first thing in the history of the dealings of God with souls is new birth, for without that there would be no seeking after God. This is produced by his word, and his word of glad tidings. When this takes place the soul becomes a seeker after God. His eyes are opened, and he turns from darkness unto light, and from the power of Satan to God, that he may receive forgiveness of sins, and inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith. Acts chapter 26 verse 18. There clearly we see a work of grace in the heart previous to the soul coming to God and receiving forgiveness, and I do not think that scripture speaks of any work done in the soul previous to new birth. Indeed, the very term, born again, precludes the idea of anything previous. Quickening is also the first beginning of that work of grace, for until that takes place the soul is in moral death. Still, these terms do not both convey the same thought to the mind, for one is a man's birth, and with that we cannot connect any previous history. But with regard to quickening, it is a dead man who is said to be quickened, that is to say, a new life has been communicated to him. And yet life is connected with new birth, for we are born again by the living word of God. This settles the question that scripture does connect life with new birth. But quickened together with Christ, Colossians chapter 2 verse 13, is only predicated of a person who has received the Holy Spirit. It is consequent on his having forgiven you all trespasses. It is the same life surely, but now in the energy of the Spirit of God. For in no other way than by the gift of the Spirit could we be said to be in living association with Christ. 
he lives by the power of God, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 4, he was quickened by the Spirit, 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18, and by the Spirit gave commandments to his disciples after his resurrection, Acts chapter 1 verse 2. Therefore, in order to be said to be quickened with him, the life we have must be looked at as in the energy of the Spirit. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit when we believe the gospel of our salvation, and that is the deliverance of Christ for our offenses, and his resurrection for our justification, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, Romans 4.25, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 to 4. New birth, faith in Christ raised from the dead, and the gift of the Spirit, this is the order in which these things come to us if we believe the scriptures. It is because we are sons, not to make us sons, that we have received the spirit of sonship, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, Galatians chapter 4 verse 6. By one spirit we have all been baptized into one body, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 13. In the power of the spirit we worship the Father, John chapter 4 verse 23, Philippians chapter 3 verse 3, in his power the gospel is preached in the world, Luke chapter 24 verse 49, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 12, by the spirit the things which ear has not heard nor the eye seen, nor the heart conceived, are known, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 9 to 10, and these things have been spoken by the apostles in words taught by the same Spirit, verses 13. Prayer is also to be offered in the Holy Ghost, Jude chapter 20, and he makes intercession with groans which cannot be uttered, Romans chapter 8 verse 26. We are not to grieve him, for we are sealed by him unto the day of redemption, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30. He does not leave us when he is grieved, but we miss his gracious and blessed leading of our hearts and minds into the glorious sphere of heavenly relationships and affections which are ours in Christ. He has, when we grieve him by the allowance of the flesh, to occupy us with our miserable selves, and our sad failure, in order that we may be led to self-judgment, confession, and restoration. But leave us he never shall, until we meet in the air the Christ to whom he is guiding us, when we shall never again grieve him. The psalmist has to ask that Jehovah may not take his Holy Spirit from him, Psalm chapter 51 verse 11, for he had the Spirit only as the Spirit of prophecy. But we have him as the seal of the righteousness which is ours in Christ, and as the Spirit of sonship, and he is so linked up with the life which is ours in Christ that whatever our ways may be, he is in us and with us forever. And this is a great incentive to a holy walk, and is so presented in the epistle to which I have referred above. It is also by him that our affections are led out to Christ as the coming one, the morning star, the harbinger of the day. The one who will come for his church before he appears to the world as the son of righteousness, the spirit and the bride say, come. Our interest is great, no doubt, in the coming of our Lord. But his is greater. How often and how greatly has he been grieved and quenched in that which professes the name of Christ, and what, if I may use the expression, extra trouble and expense has he been at in bringing the bride of Christ safely to her heavenly bridegroom. But that day of days, when he shall see the infinite joy of Christ in his bride brought home to glory and the Father's house, and the unspeakable joy of the bride at meeting him of whom she has heard so much, but whom she has never seen, shall more than compensate him for all the grief that his heart has been put to by our naughty ways. What a gift he is! May we be filled with his power continually, and may we ever walk so as not to grieve or vex such infinite holiness and love as is expressed in his continual care and tender grace toward us.